And as we go to Philippians chapter 2, I want us to read it knowing what God has done for us in Christ and that the grave is not the period. It's not the end. It's not the finish. But it's the fulfillment. It's the completion. It's the Greek telos, which is the word that is used in the scripture to describe not an end that has no meaning, but an end that is fulfillment. And it is fulfillment because of what Christ did for us. And that's what this scripture is about. And I'd like us to stand as I read God's word today. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. Paul the Apostle says, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others in your relationships with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and this is an ancient hymn of the church so I want us to read it together okay we can't sing it but we can read it together who being in very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And all God's people said, Amen. Please be seated. We had a great time at the farm, I want you to know. I brought a picture of the farm so you can visualize it. This is a picture from the road looking back at the farmhouse. And uh, it's got a herd of sheep in front of it because there are about 150 sheep on the place. And uh, that's a little farmhouse that Janet's grandfather built in 1954. And when we say we're going to the farm, it's the North Hill Country in central Texas and that's the farm I did put in a picture there of her raising the flag on July 4th my father-in-law put up this pole in front of the house and we always put the flag up on July 4th and other times uh, he was a great patriot and we are patriots as well and so we displayed that 
on July 4th. We did have some creatures at the farm this time. They're a little disconcerting. We had a snake that showed up in the creek bed. We were driving through. He was about four feet long, but he's not dangerous. At least he didn't attack me, all right? And there weren't any rattles, so I'm sure he was fine. But we thought we had conquered the insect problem at the farm by having our nephew spray all the wasp nests. And the wasps build their nests every time when we're gone. And so we thought, well, we conquered the insects. So we went to the place thinking we're going to do pretty well with insects. And we got out of the car, and we were assaulted. I mean, like shoulders, legs, head, by grasshoppers. There was a plague of grasshoppers. I took a picture of one. I could have taken a million. These guys... They are something. When I was golfing there, I had to walk my line to the cup so as not to run over grasshoppers. They were everywhere. I asked my brother-in-law, who's a farmer, I said, did these creatures have any useful purpose? He said, maybe the first million. <laughs> they were a plague. When I was surrounded by these grasshoppers and flicking them off my shoulders and things, and kids were kind of scared of them. I thought about that text in Numbers 13 where the spies come back and they give their report and they basically say we looked like grasshoppers in our own sight and also in their sight they describe their enemies as tall and the buildings are huge and the walls are high and they finally came back to 12 spies that examined the land of promise the land of Canaan flowing with milk and honey and they said we can't do it we're just grasshoppers well you can squish these grasshoppers pretty easy they're not hard to handle for a human being that's why they said they felt like grasshoppers because one foot on top of them and they're done I don't want you to get the impression as we read through this beautiful hymn and think about the humility of Jesus and then having the same mind that you're a grasshopper it's not teaching you that you have no value when you value others above yourself it's not devaluing you it's instead following the pathway of the Savior who loved us to his own hurt, didn't he? I want you to think how powerful and strong you are when in humility you lay down your life like the Savior laid down his. It's not a grasshopper mentality. It is the mentality of the Creator God who made us who condescended to become flesh, who lived among us as a man among men and died upon a cross for our sin. This is the mindset. This is the attitude. This is the character of the God who serves us through the death of his son Jesus and whom we serve as we lay down our lives. So we're not talking about you being a grasshopper we're talking about you being mighty and powerful through Christ and his strength it is in this little letter where after Paul has pictured the humility 
and servanthood of Jesus and encouraged us to do the same. It is in this letter where he says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It is not the grasshopper mentality. We are following the mentality of God himself in our servanthood. I have two things I want to point out to you in this text, okay? The first one is this statement, value others above yourselves. That's verse 3. And that seems really hard to do, doesn't it? Value others above yourselves. We are to value Christ above all the Scripture teaches us. He is Lord and He alone. We have experienced the encouragement of Christ. That's what Paul does in the first part of this chapter. He lists the things that Christ has given us, that Christ has done for us, and he is setting the stage for his challenge to everybody in the room to have a different mindset and a different attitude. And he's saying, hey, if there's any encouragement from being united in Christ, do you know the encouragement of being united with Christ? Death, where's your sting? Grave, where's your victory? If there's an encouragement in Christ, it is this tremendous change of understanding about death. Now death is no longer the period. It is the doorway into a new life with Christ who loved us and gave himself for us. If any comfort from his love... I've been thinking about the comfort of God's love in these days that we've been gone and I'm working on the problem of suffering and pain I heard this very morning about a person who has drawn back from their faith because somebody they loved died have you ever had that experience knowing somebody who turned from their faith because somebody died that they loved? The greatest comfort I know in death is the comfort of God's love. It's the deepest and the widest and the only place to be when you are bereaved and in sorrow is to nestle into the arms of the Creator God who made you and designed you for Himself and who understands the end from the beginning. It is in the providence of God where we find the great comfort of his love. A common sharing in the spirit. Hey, have you been sharing in common in the spirit? There are people in the room today that are seeking a family of faith with whom they can connect because they know how important this common sharing, this fellowship in the spirit is. And we use the word sometimes fellowship to describe eating together at a table, which is very significant, by the way. When we have table fellowship, it is very, very significant. It's why there was such controversy in the early church about Greeks and Jews eating together. Gentiles and Jews didn't have the same laws regarding food. And to sit down at the same table was a big thing for them. And God was teaching them that they were to be connected to one another, that there was a common sharing in the Spirit, and it was illustrated in eating together. And sometimes 
a conflict arose because somebody wouldn't sit down at the table well this common sharing in the spirit this fellowship of the spirit that Paul talks about here is something that we long for and people in the room today are saying I want to find a body of believers I want to find a place to connect some people that have in common with me my faith in Christ and with whom I can make life's journey and you are invited into this body of believers if that's you if that's true about you you can join us in the common experience of trusting Christ sharing Christ demonstrating the love of Christ in our community and calling others to trust in him as well as a body of believers we are open to that that's part of the fellowship the koinonia of the spirit it's always an open fellowship the circles never completely closed any Bible study that you walk into at First Baptist New Orleans ought to be and is an open fellowship so that you can connect with that group of believers because that's the nature of the common sharing in the spirit which God's people experience they don't close down they're always open to the new person to the stranger to make them part of the body if you've experienced any compassion and tenderness he says here and that's certainly true of us then on the basis of that value others above yourselves now the Apostle Paul launches into a discussion here about how his joy is made complete through their oneness in the faith and I want you to note it because the concern for the churches was the greatest burden on the heart of this great apostle he once made a list of all the troubles he'd been through and when he came to the climactic final thing he said and above all these things the concern for all the churches beyond the beatings and the trials and the imprisonment and the hunger that he had experienced it was the concern of the churches that was most on his heart we ought to think about that as members of the body together in our Bible study classes in our small groups and as we meet together in worship unity is important to the deacons that we love the Bible teachers who prepare for us every week the staff who serve us in children's work and youth work and music ministry our unity is so important to them and the Apostle Paul says here make my joy complete church at Philippi by being of one mind being like minded he had experienced discord and fighting and disunity in the church and he mentions that in some places some of the churches were torn apart by a spirit of division and he wants a one mindedness in this church that he loves having the same love he says here I want you to be one minded and have the same love he's already mentioned the comfort of the love of Christ and he uses there a word that is often used to describe a persuasive address the persuasive address of his love have you ever encountered 
the persuasive address of love. Is love persuasive to you? Hey, I would say it is. It is very persuasive. How were you persuaded to love God? This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us first. And he demonstrated it by sending his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. That's how the apostle John, the beloved apostle, describes what God did. This is love, not the love I have for you, the love you have for me, the love we have for God, but the love God has for us. That's what's so amazing. That's what's so persuasive. Somebody says to you, well, how do you know God loves you? How do you know God loves you? You can go right to the announcement made in this ordinance in communion. What Jesus did for us on the cross is the greatest act of love. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us in this persuasive way, in this amazing address to all of us. This is his word and his proclamation. He sent his son. What else needs said? He sent his son to be the satisfaction for our sin. Be of the same love, he says, one in spirit and of one mind. You say, what kind of spirit would that be, one in spirit? He's already talked about the fellowship of the spirit. You know the little word pneuma, which is translated spirit, doesn't come capitalized in the Greek when it's about the spirit of God and small case when it's about your spirit. That little word serves a lot of purposes and we have to decide whether we're going to capitalize it or not, all right? But we've seen in this epistle already a notation about the spirit of Jesus. And some translators make that a small s because they're not sure he's talking about the Holy Spirit necessarily as the demeanor and attitude of Jesus. That's what some people think. And if we take that here, being of one spirit, we would say the spirit that you ought to have, the demeanor, the attitude you ought to have is the spirit of Jesus. You're following him. He says, follow me. You're following him not just with your footsteps. You're following him with your attitude, with your mindset. Let the spirit of Jesus be your spirit too. You say, well, how am I going to find out about the spirit of Jesus? Well, you just get into those gospels and you find out who Jesus is. And I guarantee you, if you've never been there, if you've not read the gospels yourself, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, it's going to strike you. And when you're done, you're going to love him. You're going to love him. The most compelling, winsome human who ever walked the planet is Jesus of Nazareth. And to have his spirit in your mind and in your heart, that'd be amazing. People would follow you to see where you were going or where you came from if this spirit were truly in you. This spirit of Jesus mentioned here and mentioned in the book of Acts just prior to the visit to Philippi. It is the spirit of Jesus that changed Paul's direction and took him to Philippi. That spirit in you, I think that's what he's talking about. One spirit and of one mind. He uses this little word over and over again in the book of Philippians. Used more here than anywhere else in the New Testament. And it speaks to the understanding, including self-understanding, mixed with humility, and modesty be of one mind 
Value others above yourselves. That's a direct quote from the apostle. What does that mean? That means do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing. Do nothing, follower of Jesus, out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. You got to set those aside. Selfish ambition can't be your motive. You can't do anything out of selfish ambition, not in follow Jesus. Jesus wasn't doing things for selfish ambition. If his mind is in you, if his spirit is in you, you cannot do things for selfish ambition. What am I going to do then? Each of you look out for the interests of the other. Husbands, look out for the interests of your wives. Wives, look out for the interests of your husbands. Children, look out for the interests of your parents and parents for children. Neighbors, look out for the interests of your neighbors and vice versa. Brothers and sisters in the family of faith, look out for one another's interests. We are in a culture that encourages us to pursue the interests of number one. If you don't take care of yourself, who's going to do it? If you're not taking care of your own needs first, if you're not pursuing your own interests, then who's going to do it for you? And that's put to us over and over again in so many ways that we should be out for big old number one. Take care of yourself first. That's the idea. And this runs counter to that. This is a teaching that we've got we to gotta get used to. It's not what we've heard before. We're so encouraged to look after ourselves that giving attention to the interest of the other is hard to comprehend. It's even hard to bend our mind to see it. Even in our marriages, we get selfish. We get willful. Selfish ambition sometimes works on the most important relationship that we have in life, our relationship with our spouse. And we can't seem to set aside our own interests for the interests of the other. Paul says it so plainly here. Value others above yourselves. Now there is a hypocrisy among the people of God that needs to go away. And it needs to be addressed by every person in this room who is married. And this is my instruction to you, okay? Practice this first at home. Do it first in your marriage do it first in your family. Value the interest of others above your own first. Learn to do it right there. Because if it's not happening at your home, it looks fake to everybody who watches you when you do it somewhere else. It doesn't look real. It's got to happen in the home, in the intimate relationship of marriage, and with our children, and with our brothers, and with our sisters before it's real to the people who are watching and there are people who are watching before it's real to us putting the interests of others above ourselves that's how we follow Christ in your relationship with one another have the same mindset as Christ Jesus and here he launches into this teaching about the mindset of Christ how is it possible 
to have this mind that Christ had, to adopt it as our own, to love one another as he has loved us. I think the idea is we must imitate Christ. Thomas Akempis wrote a book hundreds of years ago, The Imitation of Christ. In The Imitation of Christ, he talks mostly about the interior life of a man or a woman. And he says imitating Christ is not so much about moving to Galilee and going down paths beside the Sea of Galilee. It's more about what's going on inside of you, in your mind and in your heart. So verse 5 says, let this mindset be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I said I wanted to say two things, and this is the second one. The first is, value others above yourselves. And the second is, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Be of the same mind as he. I'm asking you to imitate him. To imitate Christ. Now we imitate quickly and naturally. When the three-year-old heard his dad say at the farm, you don't have to worry because at night the grasshoppers go up in the trees. I just barely heard him say it. He was trying to comfort the kid because he was scared of the grasshoppers. The first thing Brady says the next morning is, I want to go see the grasshoppers in the trees. That's the first thing he says. He wants me to take him out. And there were grasshoppers in the trees, but not all of them. But they follow us so closely, the children do. They hear what we say more than we ever imagined. They remember it. And they feed it back to us because they're imitating us. What Paul is saying here is imitate Christ. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Now, the Lord Jesus emptied himself. That is the kenos of this scripture. And the word kenos has come to designate a whole study in theology. He humbled himself. He made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself. And how I understand that scripture is this. He laid aside his divine prerogatives, his omniscience, his omnipotence, his omnipresence in order to become human. Now we say of Jesus that he was fully man. But we do not say of him he was merely man. Our confession is he was fully man. Human like we are. In every way he assumed all dimensions of humanity but he was also fully God so in very nature God he laid aside he emptied himself of these prerogatives and he took on the form of a servant and was made in likeness and appearance as a man and in his humility he took on this form of a man we are people who believe that Jesus is fully God he saved us. He rescued us. He is the Lord Jesus. We call him kurios in the Greek. And he alone 
is Lord. There is no other Lord. His name is exalted above all other names. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven on an earth. Well, we bow before God. And we believe that Jesus is fully God, that he is God in the flesh. We are monotheists. We believe in one God, revealed to us in three ways, as Father, as Son, and as Holy Spirit. And the ancient doctrine of the Trinity comes from texts like this and like the one in Hebrews which says that Jesus is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. This is one of my favorite texts. I hope it's marked in your Bible. This is who Jesus is to us. He is the one who sustains all things by his powerful word. The Apostle John wrote that the Word of God became flesh and lived among us, and we beheld His glory, glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. This is who He is to us. The Word become flesh. The Scripture says again, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So God incarnate in Christ humbled himself and came as a servant. And then the scripture says, whoever wants to be greatest among you will be servant of all. There's a teaching in the exaltation and the humiliation of Christ which we are to imitate. It is the mindset we are to have. Jesus said, the last will be first and the first last. He said, if you want to be great, then be servant of all. And he's calling us to imitate his attitude, his style in the world, his mindset. To humble ourselves, to value others above our own interests, and to pour out our lives as he did for the sake of the God we love. There are all kind of callings that come with the message of the gospel. You may be hearing one this morning. A calling to connect where you can have common experience in the fellowship of the Spirit. Maybe a calling to come and be baptized, publicly announcing your faith in Christ. Maybe you're suffering from a loss and you just want to pray with somebody. Our response time is for you. And I encourage you in a minute to just listen to the prompting of the Holy Spirit and respond in obedience to him. Bow with me, please. Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the wonder of his humility and servanthood. May it show up in us who follow him. By your Holy Spirit, do your work in us, we pray. And lead us in your grace, in Jesus' name, amen.